You can turn if you brought your Bibles with you to 2 Timothy chapter number 1. You know, y'all clean up real good. You look good this morning. Praise God. Didn't our praise team knock it out of the park this morning? Amen. I love to worship God. Praise God. I love to worship God. Thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Had a few sinus problems, so I brought my tea up here with me this morning. And uh, I may be sipping on it from time to time. Don't let it distract you. And don't jump up and run into the cafe to get you some. <laughs> Just practice discipline and wait to get through. 1 <laughs> Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> I thank God, verse number three, I thank God whom I serve with a pure conscience as my forefathers did and without ceasing I remember you in my prayers night and day greatly desiring to see you being mindful of your tears that I may be filled with joy when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that was in you which dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice I am persuaded is in you also. Therefore, I remember you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Praise God. Heavenly Father, we love you today. We're so thankful for Jesus. We're so thankful that you're in this place this morning. God, we felt your presence during our times of worship and praying during the baptismal service. Lord, how special it is to see young people being baptized. And another life is going to be dedicated to the Lord, going to be serving you. It's going to uh, feel the joy that Jesus only can give. Hallelujah. Lord, we thank you for all that's taken place, and we thank you that your anointing has been on it. For the singing and the worship, the praise team, the music, everything has had the anointing of the Holy Spirit on it. Lord, I pray you'll anoint me to preach, that I might preach the word of God that you stirred up in my spirit. That I can preach it under the unction and anointing <clears throat> of the Holy Spirit of God. Lord, so the word will come alive in our midst, so it will have an impact on us, Lord. So we'll be moved from where we are to where you want us to be. And we'll be very careful to give you all the praise and all the honor and all the glory. For we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Praise the Lord. Now, Timothy, he was uh, Paul's son in the faith. He was also Paul's traveling companion and minister partner. And it tells us about that back over in the book of Acts, chapter 16. The first few verses is that when he came to Derb and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a certain Jewish woman who believed, but his father was Greek. He was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconian. Paul wanted to have him go on with him. And he took him and circumcised him because the Jews who were in the region, for they all knew that his father was Greek. 
And as they went through the cities, they delivered to them the decrees to keep, which were determined by the apostles and elders at Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in faith, and in, and they increased in number daily. Boy, that's a good deal, isn't it? They increased in number daily. Praise God. So he was... Uh, he was Paul's ministry partner and traveling companion. He was a young man, very young. Now, Paul is writing Second Timothy from a dark, damp prison cell in Rome. It's one of the prison epistles. And he's writing to Timothy, and obviously he's writing Timothy to encourage him. It's one thing to, uh, to be ministering... But there's a whole new level when you're the man in charge. <laughs> I see Paul had been the man in charge in Timothy's ministry before. He had been right there with him to help him. And if anything came up, well, he had Paul to turn to. Now he's off on his own. Paul's in prison, and he's out here ministering on his own. He's a young man out carrying the gospel torch for his mentor, the Apostle Paul. And so as he's... Uh, out here ministering, Paul's writing him, encouraging him. He's continuing to minister him only this time through letters to encourage him because he knows what it is to be the one that's in charge, the one who's responsible. There's a great weight of responsibility goes with leadership. And when you're the one in charge, that responsibility falls on you. I can remember reading where Harry Truman had a little sign on his desk, on his presidential desk, that said, the buck stops here. <laughs> in other words, when it comes to my death, it's my responsibility. It's nobody else's. It's my responsibility. I've got to take hold of that thing and work it out. And so uh, that's where the, the uh, shoes that Timothy was now filling. He's that man that when the buck comes to him, he's the one that has to figure it out and work it out. He can't, he can't pass it off to uh, Paul, the apostle, because he's not there. He's in prison. So uh, Paul was writing Timothy with all this in mind, and it particularly shows in verse number 7, which we read, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Paul knows that the enemy of our soul, uh, if he can get us into a spirit of fear, he'll use that to work against us. And he'll use it to bind us and bring us into a bondage that makes us ineffective for the Lord. And so he didn't want Timothy to be shy and timid and backing up from his responsibility and backing up from his duties and backing up from his ministry. He wanted him to be bold and, and declaring the word of God and working out there and seeing things happen for God. It's what he wanted Timothy to be. And so he's encouraging him. He's encouraging him in the Lord, and in particular in this area of fear and the spirit of fear. I've entitled this message, The Fear Factor. I borrowed that title, as you know, from a TV show they had. It wasn't one that was my cup of tea, so I didn't watch it, but I did run across it several times, flipping the channel. You know, I'm a man, so I wear the batteries out on the little remote control quite frequently. We have to keep a lot of batteries on hand because 
I like to flip channels. Women incessantly don't like to flip channels, but men do. And so I'm familiar with it because I passed it several times. Some of y'all may have watched it. Some of y'all may have liked it when you watched it. But uh, it wasn't my cup of tea. But I do know it was on, and I borrowed the title, and I hope they don't mind and I don't get in a lawsuit or anything like that. You might say 2020 was a year of fear. Never in my lifetime has there been a more intense atmosphere of fear created than was created in 2020 by COVID-19. Fear, people being afraid, was very prevalent. It became so bad and was so promoted and it's promoted so strongly by all forms of media that it literally changed the way we live here in the United States and in most every other country in the entire world. Churches were affected. Homes were affected. Schools were affected. Sporting events were affected. Weddings, funerals, any kind of public gathering uh, was affected. Uh, there was all kinds of radical changes. Many were canceled, and sometimes when they were held, they were held under the strictest guidelines, and uh, so uh, it was just very difficult to do anything. There were uh, shortages of all kinds. Remember that? One very essential shortage, toilet paper. <laughs> now that we no longer have Sears catalogs, uh, that became a real crisis, you know. So uh, toilet paper is not something you want to run out of. And yet you could go to the store and go to another store and go to another store and go to another store and the shelves that said toilet paper would be empty. Except maybe for some that was kind of more resemblant to sandpaper than anything else. But there was shortages of all kinds uh, and the shelves, when they were stocked, if you didn't get there real quick, they were empty again. And so uh, there was lots and lots of uh, shortages. There was uh, all kinds of problems developed. Hoarding became a problem. Some people saw an opportunity to make a few bucks, so they'd go up and buy up everything that was on the shelf. And they'd keep it hoping to be able to unload it on others at an unreasonable cost later. But many of them got bit by their own uh, desire for gain in, in the end. And, the, and the, uh, the economy, which was booming at the time, went in the tank. A lot of people lost jobs. Hospitals, health care in general was rapid, was... Uh, uh, radically affected, very restrictive measures became the normal throughout the entire health care system. Masks, social distancing, frequent hand washings, my hands still dry. Uh, I, I'm not in the habit of putting on lotion, but, you know, uh, just con constantly having to wash your hands and clean everything with disinfectant. These became normal practices of life. Isolation, 
very restricted lifestyle became the norm for the elderly and anybody that had any kind of uh, underlying health care issue. Nursing homes and other types of facilities were locked down tight. You couldn't go see grandma. Yeah, you know, it was a it was a really rough time for a lot of older people or a lot of people that were in some kind of facility because they're used to having the support of their family and having the people come visit them and uh, I remember seeing a uh, seeing a story on uh, I guess probably on uh, it was on television I guess it was a nursing home up in in New York and and they were protesting. And they said, we'd rather die of loneliness. We'd rather die of COVID than loneliness. And so loneliness and that forced isolation was really, really, really beginning to get to them. And forced aloneness became a common theme around the world. Many of these things were said to be temporary. It'll just be a few weeks, maybe a couple of months. And this was done, uh, a lot of this stuff was done to try to help us and protect us and to get us through this crisis. I'm not denying that. I'm not coming against that. I'm just saying that uh, uh, sometimes the cure is almost worse than the disease. And so uh, this was only supposed to last a little while. Well, as we know, that didn't turn out to be the case. Obviously, it didn't turn out to be the case. It's gone on much, much longer than most of us expected it to. And adding to our frustration, there's been an abundance of misinformation and disinformation come down uh, and downright lying put out that has made it very difficult to figure out the truth. It's hard to separate propaganda from the truth and know where we really are. Not only this, but there's been a continue, and there continues to be many unscrupulous people in government on the state, national, and local levels who've seized on this pandemic and are using it for their own agendas and ambitions. They like the power that this situation has afforded them, and they don't want to give it up. And they'll do almost anything to keep from giving it up. So in the midst of all this, a fear factor has been created in many people. And the enemy of our soul has been using and spreading this for his own purposes. I said all that to say this. That created an atmosphere that it made it easy for the enemy to shove people into a spirit of fear. Fear is not necessarily a bad thing. It can be used for good. Fear teaches us not to jump off a 10-story building because we have a respect for the law of gravity. (laughs) If you don't have respect for the law of gravity, you're going to be in trouble very shortly because there's many situations where the law of gravity is definitely a big part of the process. And if you ignore it, uh, you're, going to be, you're going to be in trouble. Fear 
is also an ally when in my house and it's burning down around me and I don't ignore that, but I get up and get out of there. Uh, fear is an ally in many cases. God, God made us to fear uh, uh, some things. He gave us common sense. And so uh, I, I see some of the things some people do and I wonder where they were when the common sense was passed out. But, you know, uh, people do some of the dumbest things. I read the other day where a blind man climbed Mount Everest. First one to ever do it. Well, mountain climbing to me does not really make a whole lot of sense. That seems to me to be stretching real thin this law of gravity thing. And so there's a lot of things that people do where they've learned how to overcome even natural fear. But fear is not necessarily a bad thing. It can be an ally. The Bible says, fear God. It also says, fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. We're talking about fear being some good things here. It says in Matthew 12, 4, and 5, And I say to you, this is the words of Jesus, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. But I show, but I show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say, fear him. Fearing God is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. And uh, you can see by that last scripture I read that, that when the Bible says fear God, it does have that element in there more than just reverence and respect. Because it says, don't just fear people that can kill the body, but fear the one who can do something after you're dead. Which appointed unto men want to die, but after that, the judgment. So fear is a good thing in the case. It helps us know and understand that there's a sovereign, all-powerful, almighty God who's in charge of eternity, and we're going to stand before him. And so you can choose to ignore God or play like he doesn't exist or play like it, this stuff doesn't apply to you and live as exactly as you want to. And you can ignore uh, him and say he is, he is irrelevant. But one of these days, you're going to regret your decision. So this fearing God is a good thing. It helps us come into a relationship in him about his authority over our life. Paul's not talking here in this text about fear that's beneficial. He's talking about a spirit of fear that has grown dominant in our lives and has brought us into a bondage that's hurtful and harmful to us, that the enemy of our soul is using against us. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. If God didn't give it to us, where did it come from? It comes from the enemy of our soul. 
It's a miserable thing to be living under dominance of a spirit of fear. To have it uh, just grabbing hold of you and uh, pulling you down. And uh, uh, to have it controlling your thoughts and actions and feelings. You need to do something about it. You need to quit tolerating this spirit of fear. Friends, this spirit of fear is not only, it not only takes uh, hold of you, it continues to take hold of you and get a stronger and stronger grip on it the more that you let it reside there. It has a tendency to spread to other things and to other parts of our lives that weren't a problem before. Now, I have uh, a couple of areas in my life that, that I'm, uh, I'm more fearful of than the average person. How many like being up on a real tall ladder working? Well, you can't get me up on the real, unless you anesthetize me or something first or hit me in the head. I am not going to get up much higher in my head if I don't have to. I had a good oil, I had a real good job with Shell Oil, Shell oil Company before I got called to preach and went to college and went to ministry. And uh, I was an operator in a gasoline plant, and it was an older plant, so the fractionating towers were pretty high. And so that one tower, man, it went up there, I don't know, 80, 90 feet. It was a long way. And it had what you call pop valves on the top. Now, pop valves were just simply, if the pressure built up too much, these valves would release it rather than be an explosion or something. So, uh, but, but when they start leaking, it's a problem because they're way up there on the top. And when it starts leaking, you've got to fix it. Well, we had one that maintenance hadn't fixed yet, and it was leaking. And when I came on, uh, came on uh, to my shift, well, my supervisor told me, he said, now, if you see a cloud coming up where it might lightning, he said, even if you think it might, you go put on the steam snuffing line. So we had steam that ran all the way up there, and you could turn that valve, and that steam would come up, and then, and then there wouldn't, wouldn't be oxygen there to start a fire, even if lightning struck it. It'd be smothered by the steam. Well, I got real busy about my business. You know, so I had some pumps that were giving me some trouble, and I was busy elsewhere, and I didn't notice this little stinking cloud come up. And so it drifted up on the, and the very first lightning bolt hits that sucker right in the top, and poof, there, and we got this fire up here on top, because the, and my supervisors came over there real disgusted to me with this big fire extinguisher, and shoved it in my gut and said, you didn't turn on the steam, you put it out. Well, putting out a fire wasn't a bad thing, but the location of the fire. <laughs> Somehow or another, I had to get up there to put that fire out, and boy, was it a long way. And this thing, you know, it necked down, it went up, so it went right up the top, it wasn't really very big around. And I found when I got up there, and the wind always blows about 90 miles an hour in West Texas where I was. And so it felt to me like that thing was swaying like this. And I had my I got up there, and I had my thing, but I couldn't let loose uh, 
from hanging on to put it out. And so it was a real dilemma. But finally, uh, I, I accidentally got fire put out. So, but I'm a little, I, I'm not, I don't do well with heights. And a lot of the people don't do well with closed spaces. And I'm one of them too. Now, those two things, I do pretty well any other way. I mean, I've been to Vietnam. I've, been, I've done a lot of things that, uh, you know, that where you had to overcome fear. And I managed to do it. But don't put me in a coffin and shut the lid while I'm still alive. <laughs> I'm just glad they embalm. Because if you're not dead when they embalm you, you will be the time they get through because life is in the blood. The Bible says, and they take the blood out. So there's not much chance of life continuing. So I know as long as I'm getting involved, I don't mind being put in there because there's no chance that I might wake up a little later and find out where I'm at. And so, you know, there's a lot of us have some fears Fear can be an ally. Fear can be helpful. But this kind of fear, the enemy, he just overwhelms you with it. He, and it spreads into other areas where you begin to fear this and fear that and fear this and fear that. And you begin to just live in fear all the time. And it's the enemy he promotes insecurity, timidity, decision-making with uh, just, it's just crazy, nonsensical. Making decisions where you compromise what you believe because of the fear of the consequences. Decisions that don't make sense at all. I can remember being in my first tornado when I was about, well, I was in the seventh or eighth grade. I don't know how old I was, but of course I failed the sixth grade, had to rerun it. So <laughs> I used to didn't pass you right on, and I only, spell, only failed spelling. They kept me back a year anyway, so I don't remember how old I was. But I was seventh or eighth grade, and I'd, uh, I was in our house in Drumright, and we had a tornado. And it started coming, and I remember it sounded like a freight train. You got closer and closer, and we ended up on the kitchen floor, my whole family, my, me and my sister. My brother wasn't there, but me and my sister, my mom and dad were all on the kitchen, kitchen floor. My sister screaming to the top of her lungs, and I'm scared. Everybody's scared, and this thing's getting louder and louder and louder and louder. And I, I'm right next to the refrigerator. And I'm trying to crawl under it, and I can't understand in my mind why I can't get under that refrigerator. And it's only, it's only about that two or three inches off the floor. But in my state of absolute fear, I couldn't figure that out. See, that spirit of fear works that way. It'll cause you just to be making decisions that don't even make any kind of sense at all. It may even be very hurtful to you. It promotes all these things. It paralyzes us. It causes us to act in an unreasonable manner. People under the control of the spirit of fear make wrong and nonsensical decisions that make things worse or else it freezes them to the point where they do nothing or are left to the mercy of circumstances. There's nothing good about a spirit of fear. 
It's a bondage that comes from the enemy of our soul. As Paul said, I have not given you a spirit of fear, but a power and love and a sound mind. Praise God. <clears throat> Jesus used the fear, uh, the phrase several times, fear not. Fear not. God can set us free from a spirit of fear. Today can be a turning point. If you have had that spirit of fear come in through maybe the conditions in this uh, pandemic or maybe from some other way or some other thing, but somehow or another the enemy has manipulated circumstances and got you into this bondage of this spirit of fear and you're beginning to live in fear and it's getting worse. And it'll continue to get worse till you deal with it. God intends us to walk in His power, in His love, and in the mind of Christ with a sound, disciplined mind to have control over fear, to have only fear as an ally and not as an as a oppressive taskmaster that literally drives us in the ground. Today can be your day. Today can be your breakout time as the praise team comes back. Today can be your breakout day. It can be the time that you begin to uh, get this thing under control. You begin to turn this, this thing around. You, it, through the help of the Lord, begin to get deliverance. Now, I like it when deliverance is instantaneous. How many like that? Praise God. I like it when I'm praying and before I even get the words out of my mouth. Whammo! God works a miracle and the whole thing's done. Yay! That's what I want. That's what we all want. But God knows what's best for us. So sometimes it, deliverance is a process. Sometimes you start at a point and God turns you and heads you back in the right direction. And if you stick with him, he'll pull you out of that altogether and you can put it behind you. Praise God. Now, I don't know what God's going to do for you this morning if you respond to him. And if you give him an opportunity to get a hold of the fear that you're living in. But I want to tell you something. If you'll come... Faith can overcome fear. Faith in God, faith in who He is, faith in what He can do, faith in His promises. If you respond to the Holy Spirit's drawing and you exercise faith in the promise of God, God can get a hold of your heart and He can do what you've been unable to do. Hallelujah. There's some things that we just can't handle on our own. we got to have divine intervention. And He will intervene. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's stand together. I want to give you an opportunity this morning just to come down to the front. Uh, I hope nobody's embarrassed. I mean, I told you how silly I was about heights and about closed places and it's nothing, and I've had a spirit of fear before. I used to have a spirit of fear that developed out of that traumatic experience of that uh, tornado. 
men for a long time there for two or three or four years. Every time at lightning, man, I'd, I'd just almost be shaking on the inside. My mother was worse than I was. We spent a lot of time in the storm cellar. But I'm telling you, <clears throat> I finally got control of that fear to where it wasn't unreasonable, to where it wasn't dominating my life. Now, it, if I see a tornado coming and I've got a storm cellar right here, I'm not just going to stand there and watch that thing till it sucks me up in it and throws me a few miles away. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to exercise a little bit of that common sense, open that door and get down in that cellar. But I'm not going to live in fear that there might be a tornado. And see, that's the difference between a spirit of fear and natural fear.